Welcome to Green City, a podcast focused on sustainability. I'm your host, Lene Marty Henson. We invite you to listen in on our conversations for positive change. It is my hope that we can all come away with something that resonates within our own lives and inspires us to action within our own communities. Let's start where we are and find ways to work together to create more connected, more vibrant, and indeed more sustainable communities. Join us each week as we learn from each other. Today, we continue our food and farm series with our guest, Leslie Shallaby, co-founder of Convivium Urban Farmstead in Dubuque, Iowa. Leslie founded Convivium along with Mike Munch with a mission to improve life through food. Why food? As stated on their website, because it is universal. Everyone eats. So we thank you for joining us this morning, Leslie. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So to begin, tell us a little bit more about your journey to this point in your own words. Sure. Um, So I come from a strong corporate background professionally. I have my college degrees in journalism, and I worked as a journalist for a long time in a strange field in the, well, in the construction field, actually. So I specialized in writing about construction equipment. Uh, And I, from that uh, job, I moved over onto the PR side of things, and I represented large multinational companies that, um, that manufactured construction equipment. So I was deeply in the corporate world. Uh, I became a part owner in the PR agency that I was in, and we represented, we were an international firm. So I ran the U.S. office and, you know, we had a client all around the world. And that, you know, was glamorous and exciting and, and um, a, fun, a fun journey for me. But at some point in that, in that process, I just realized that this wasn't filling me up. It, um, it was nice financially. It was certainly exciting, but it wasn't, it wasn't satisfying a deep need in me. And it was around that time that I met my partner, Mike, Mike Munch, and he was also feeling the same kind of um, dissatisfaction, I think, with, with where he was in his professional career. So we, um, you know, over a long period of time, we decided to step away from our businesses. He was a part owner in an insurance agency. Uh, we decided to step away from our businesses, sell, sell out, um, and instead of running off to Belize or someplace warm, <laughs> we decided to um, we decided to use that money to improve our community. Uh, so we um, we that that was the beginning. That's where the seed money came from for for Convivium. Was we just believed strongly in it enough in it that we were going to put our own money behind it to back it. Uh, And we kind of, we started by asking ourselves the question of what problem did we want to solve? I think, I think that's a good question for people to ask themselves if they're also feeling like this, like, okay, well, what's really bothering you in the world, you know? And, um, and so the, the question, the, the problem that we wanted to solve was the problem of disconnection. I think on most of the problems that we have 
all around us come from this idea of disconnection, disconnection from our food source, disconnection from our environment, disconnection from our neighbors, disconnection from our large, larger community. Um, and so we wanted to create something that would help foster that connection, that reconnection. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was our very initial idea. And from there, we, um, we started looking for some properties. We knew that we wanted this thing to be a physical space, someplace for somebody to come to. And um, so we found these old greenhouses that were on the north end of Dubuque. And if you're familiar with Dubuque, the north end is um, a beautiful, lovely community. It's also kind of considered the wrong side of the tracks. And so um, that was also important for us to, to do this work in a part of town that maybe needed some revitalization or some new energy. So anyway, we found these greenhouses. They have a long history in the community. So there have been greenhouses on this footprint um, since 1909. We know that from looking back through the abstracts. Uh, and But the, the property that we bought, um, the structures that we bought were built in the 1920s. Um, and when I say structure, I'm meaning that very loosely because essentially it was just the, the iron trusses of the greenhouse that were, that were left. There was one enclosed building, um, but that was about it. So with that one enclosed building, the two greenhouses, it was about 11, no, about 13,000 square feet of, of potential space for us. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, that, I mean, that's just fascinating. And so then you, I want you to continue. You said about focusing on, with property, you could focus on food and all the aspects of food. Yeah. So so that, so that then we found these properties. So that helped us kind of inform what, what we were going to do. We found a great architect. Um, his name is Nick Carnahan. He works, um, he is out of Milwaukee. And he helped us so much. He helped us really ask ourselves the questions of what we wanted to do in this space. Um, and I think that was that was a really a galvanizing thing for us. He took us on tours and we went to Milwaukee and we looked at some similar things. And I mean, it was really an amazing process. And it really made us think um, you know, about how we were gonna use the space. We knew loosely what we wanted to do. I mean, we know we knew we wanted to have a restaurant. We knew we wanted to have gardens, and we knew we wanted to teach classes. Uh, but how we're using that space is, you know, is a, a lot informed by how the remodeling went. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, keep what's next. <laughs> I kind of love so, it's very good. So the thing I love about your business model, and it's great that you come into this with such vast business experience, both you and Mike, but that you set out to have some profit generating aspects that could then feed the community give back aspects. Yeah, correct. So that's one of the things that we felt really strongly about from the get go is that we wanted to build kind of a have kind of a built-in economic engine that was going to help feed our nonprofit activities. I mean, we still rely a lot on grants and donations, and I don't think that will ever go away completely. But as we build the business, that's becoming less and less. And that's our goal, our long-term 
a long-term goal is to, you know, have, have that be the main source of income. We're not there yet. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's been an on, ongoing process, but we're building and it's, and it's beginning to, to take some traction. But essentially the idea is that revenues from our restaurant and then um, we also rent out the, re we only, we're open only for breakfast and lunch because that allows us our afternoons and evenings to rent out that space as a venue for weddings, corporate meetings, you know, baby showers, that kind of thing. So that rental, that space rental helps all as well. And then we have a full catering operation that helps as well. Uh, we also have merchandise, you know, all those kinds of different things. Those are the, those are the basic revenue sources um, that help fund our nonprofit activities. So the nonprofit activities are essentially, um, well, the initial ones were classes. So we were doing, we were doing all kinds of classes to all kinds of people. Um, so every, you know, everyone from just a leisurely class that you would have, you know, like a, like a wine tasting or a how to make scones. Sorry about the dog. That's all right. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. All the way to one of the things that I'm the most proud of is that we've conceived of this class called Good and Cheap. It's based on a cookbook by the same name. Um, and this is kind of a, a famous cookbook in some circles. Um, so the cookbook is called Good and Cheap, Feeding Yourselves on $4 a Day. And the idea behind it is that you can literally feed yourself, that that's the amount of SNAP benefits that's um, you know, foods, that's the mm. new word, food stamps. Um, that's the amount of SNAP benefits that you would get per person per household at the time that this book was written. And so we, uh, we developed a class from this cookbook, teaching basic knife skills, um, and how to put really, uh, focuses on vegetables there's a lots of vegetables and kind of stretching proteins and using a lot of healthy grains and that sort of thing so it's a whole foods approach cookbook which is kind of our philosophy to food food as well and anyway we so we teach the how to approach these vegetables you know how do you deal with an eggplant or a spaghetti squash or you know those, those kinds of things and um and also how to grocery shop you know like just tips and techniques for for stretching your dollar at the grocery store and then this class is we teach we teach this to uh, I would say kind of at risk folks people who are either low income. We just finished a class uh, a session where many of the students were from a homeless shelter in town. Uh, another chunk of the students were from uh, a sober living community here. So it's those sorts of folks that we're we're trying to help out with healthy food and education about healthy food. Yeah. And a lot of your classes, I noticed you do on a sliding scale. So, I mean, that's a wonderful thing too, that if you can afford to pay for them, that's a way that people can donate and still learn. Yes, right? that's right. So we, we have three different levels of, of the scale. So the first level is basically you can pay whatever you want for the class. So that means, well, there's a minimum. You have to pay $5 just because of our processing um, our processing system, uh, but you can pay $5 or you can pay $100. So you can pay whatever you want, or you can just pay the, the normal class fee. That's the second level. Or, and then the third level is you play the class fee plus half. 
and that helps pay for you know other people to take hmm. that class at, at the reduced rate. Yeah, and you also have a program where you make casseroles and give yeah. them away. Yeah, this was a huge. This has been a huge um, shift for us in terms of our philosophy, and this was a big COVID pivot. It was. This is the reason we started doing it. So. You know, that whole extravaganza started um, blowing up in March of that year, which is just around the time that we're starting our seeds for the for the gardens. Hmm. <clears throat> and, um, you know, let, I mean, we didn't know what was going on. Nobody did. You know, mm -hmm. you know, it was such a strange time. And so well, we thought, well, well, that we better we better continue. We can't get this time back. You know, we can't say, oh, we're going to wait and see. So we continued to just act if we were going to have our gardens everything was going to be normal and so you know we planted the seeds and then we got everything in the garden and, you know so things aren't back to normal the restaurants closed and then we opened sort of and you know we were just partially open um and so it became august september and all of our food was coming in our produce so we have um and i want to talk about the gardens at some point too because that's a really exciting thing of what we're doing but anyway, we have about 13,000 square feet of garden space as well. We produce around 4,000 pounds of vegetables each year in that space. So basically we had 4,000 pounds of vegetables coming in from the field and really no outlet, hmm. like no, our normal outlet wasn't there. We're like, what, you know, what are we gonna do? And so we applied for a small seed grant from the city of Dubuque for it was a nonprofit relief grant. And we, uh, decided to transform all of those vegetables into healthy casseroles that we would give away to our neighbors who at the that time food insecurity was really becoming prevalent and we really mm -hmm. really saw that in our neighborhood and so we just we started with 100 casseroles a week they were like nine by 13 pans um, those foil pans and we just gave them away and i mean it went over like it was great everyone loved it and we would just have a you know a time and first come first serve so that grant ran up ran out and it, people the response from it was so positive that we really tried to figure out a way to keep it going so we got some more money through grants and then also donations and we just decided to keep going <laughs> we and we would re-up every six months saying okay if we have if we have the money if we have the volunteers because this is all done through volunteers, we'll keep going. And so long story short, we're still doing it. Um, we, um, to, the, to date, we've given away just under 20,000 casseroles to, wow. to people who need it. We also, there's a delivery option. So there's a lot of people who like elderly and disabled folks who have a hard time leaving their home. So we have volunteer drivers that, that deliver those casseroles as well. That's wonderful. So tell us about your gardens. Yeah. So we, when we, this greenhouse, these greenhouses that we have that don't have, a, there was not a lot of extra space, like space for a garden. So the first thing that we did is we used all of the areas that you would traditionally think that you would landscape, you know, like little strips between here and there. And we, we landscaped in food. So every, hmm. every available little spot we had was, was edible. We planted edible stuff. And then we realized that this really wasn't going to be enough space for us. So we started like kind of lurking around the neighborhood <laughs> to see if there were maybe some other spaces in the neighborhood that might work for, for planting a garden. 
and there's this hair salon that was in an old house and it was just half a block away from us and so we literally knocked on the door and said hey you know what would you think about your crazy gardening neighbors if they put a garden a garden in your backyard and and the woman who owns it said great that's great we don't have to mow it and so the agreement that we have is that they you know can take what they want from that and that became our first auxiliary garden from there that was the only person that we actually had to ask and everybody else came to us and said hey can you can you do that in our yard can you do that in our yard huh. and so now we have about I think we have five auxiliary gardens throughout the neighborhood and they're in people's backyards. And we, um, you know, we just have agreements with the homeowner about water usage. Like we have some specific needs, you know, we need to have access to water and that sort of thing. So we just have individual agreements with all of the neighbors. And it's such a great way to connect the neighborhood. That's another way that we're creating connection and it wasn't necessarily intended um, or, you know, our initial thought about that but it really is it's a lovely thing and it's it's a really it's kind of contagious as well we've seen so many people plant gardens in their in their yards in the neighborhood it's really for me that's really inspiring I'm like yeah they didn't have a garden last year but they do this year that's yeah. awesome yeah yeah and don't you also make the produce that is grown in those gardens kind of available for to yeah, help food so, insecurity as well? Yes. So we actually have specific gardens that are for that use. So they're yellow raised bed gardens and we have them, you know, interspersed throughout the neighborhood. And we call those common beds. And you know, they are common beds because they're yellow. They're like yellow wooden gardens. And that's right. So we plant and tend those gardens specifically for people to come and pick the vegetables there. Hmm. Yeah, and that's that, wonderful. you know, a lot of people ask us, like, is that abuse? Do you have vandalism? You know, and we just haven't. <laughs> I, you know, very limited. There were like <laughs> one or two incidents with some kids, you know, but certainly not anything crazy. And and I, I don't know. I just think that that's one of the things that I'm really proud of is that we've done this because people really, really use this. Um, you know, there's this there's a woman in the neighborhood, this older African-American woman, you see her just walking a lot, like walking from here to there. And she will, I see her oftentimes to bring her kitchen knife and, and um, you know, she's planning to come and harvest. She comes with her bag and she takes the cabbages and, or the tomatoes or what, you know, whatever it is. So I, you know, people are counting on it. They're planning on it. It's not like they're just like walking past and grabbing what's there. So I, um, I don't know. I think that's, that's neat. And this, this area of the city is considered a food desert. So this yeah. is kind of our very, very small answer to that problem. Oh, it's wonderful. And you, I mean, in your own words, how would you say that you are, you are contributing to the overall sustainability and health and common good in your area through what you're doing? I mean, I think, I think one of the ways that we're doing that is I think that we're really inspiring people it, we hear that all the time. Um, people just, and people feel good when they come, you know, when they come to, to see us. And I think that putting that, not to get too woo woo about it, but putting that kind of energy out into the world is good. And we really need that, especially now, you know, 
Um, and so that's, I think, one of the ways that we're doing that. And I, I also know that, you know, people count on us for food and that I didn't, I want, I didn't see that coming. I, mm. I, um, I just didn't really see that coming. It wasn't part of our initial uh, vision for the place. Um, we certainly wanted to connect people, but to count on us for food is, you know, a whole nother level that is really, um, really quite amazing. There was a young woman that showed up on casserole day, which is Wednesday nights. Um, she came in kind of a little perplexed and not quite sure what to do. And she, you know, she's just looking around and, and she finally just said, somebody said I could come here for food. You know, I'm, I just lost my job. I've got three kids, you know, whatever, you know, that's, that's quite something, you know? Yeah. 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 So what, what, what would you like our listeners most to know? How can they help you in your efforts, whether they're in the Dubuque area or not? Um, if you're in the Dubuque area, stop by, you know, grab breakfast, all of the proceeds, you know, from, from your, um, from your, your meal, do go to help these, these, this casserole program, these other educational programs that we're helping. So that's kind of one of the most obvious ways. We're also right now um, doing our end of the year fundraising campaign, like um, public radio and all of that. We try not to do that all year long, <laughs> um, you know, so we just do it once uh, and uh, towards the end of the year. And we're, so we're doing it now. So we have a pretty big goal for next year, which is $125, which would help fund our cattle program for the entire year. Uh, and so don't just straight up donations would be very, very helpful for us. And you can do that on our website, which is convivium. So that's C O N V I V I U M dash D B Q.com. Um, and then another way that can really help us is that, you know, we have not really done a lot of advertising. Um, most of our presence, uh, people know about us through social media. So following us on social media and also sharing our, our things both on Facebook and Instagram would be very, very helpful for us um, just to spread the word about who we are. So those are some, those are some things that we can, you can do to help. That's wonderful. So any final words of wisdom for our listeners today? Um, I, um, you know, we, this, this has been not a straight line for us, you know? Um, and it, if you come now and see it, it's all kind of a, a well-oiled machine, but it, it didn't start that way. There's been lots of, um, lots of stuff behind the scenes, you know, lots of challenges and, and things like that. And we never really let that discourage us. So I think that my, my words of wisdom are, you don't have to have all of the answers to get started. Hmm. You just have to start. And then if that doesn't work, do the next thing. And if that doesn't work, do the next thing. Because I think if we if we sat down and tried to figure out all of this from the outset, we just never would have started. It's it's really a vast operation. And so we didn't do that. We just said, okay, we're just gonna do this thing. We're just gonna put in the garden. So we're just gonna teach a class and then and then from there everything is built. So I think my words of wisdom are just start. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Leslie, for joining us today and for all that you do every day for your community and beyond. We're truly grateful.
Thank you very much. Happy to be here. For our listeners, remember to check out yourgreenportal.com um, and tune in next week as we continue our discussions. Until then, stay curious, stay engaged, and thanks as always for listening. That's all for this edition of Green City. I'm Lene Marty Henson, and I hope you continue to listen in on these conversations focused on the broad realm of sustainability. I truly believe that we go further faster when we come together to have real dialogue, inspiring us toward practical solutions. Let's continue to learn from each other how best to nurture this precious planet we call home. Thanks for listening. We are truly grateful.